0: Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line.
1: Hello, and thank you for choosing option 3. Welcome to Gaywire where everything's at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terrence, and my pronouns are he and they. You're listening to CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, and this week we're talking about the blood ban. That is the three-month abstinence period necessary for men who have sex with men to abide by if they want to donate blood. But where where did the ban come from in the first place? HIV and AIDS first emerged in Canada in 1982, disproportionately affecting 2SGBTQ folk, or men who have sex with men. Also, in 1982, there was a case of an HIV infection from donated blood, and over a thousand Canadians would be infected with HIV from donated blood by 1989. Now, this was horrible enough by itself, but Even worse, some of these infections could have been prevented if Canada did surrogate testing, as they did in the US and Australia. So there was a test for hepatitis B, which was an indicator of HIV, available as early as 1984, but Canada didn't actually start using it to screen for HIV in donated blood until November of 1985, and in that time, 133 people were infected with HIV. So once they started testing for Hepatitis B, then they caught some of the infected blood, but they still weren't testing for Hepatitis C. That test became available in 1986, but the Canadian Red Cross didn't actually start using that one until 1990. So this series of mismanagements led to at least 1,250 Canadians being infected with HIV, and was known as the Tainted Blood Scandal. The Crever Report is what revealed these mismanagements and advised to, you know, test the blood. But in 1992, a lifetime donation ban was placed on men who have sex with men instead. This policy is in fact not good, and for a second there, we had some hope that it would be eradicated as Justin Trudeau said he'd end the ban once and for all, but as of today there is still a three month deferral period before 2SGBTQ folk can donate blood. Now I've gotta let you know, though I've checked my sources, I've had to skip over huge swaths of this particular history. So I highly recommend you do some research of your own. A great starting place is allbloodisequal.ca. Someone who does know a lot about this, well, I know someone who talked to them. For this special two-part episode of Gaywire, one of our reporters, Shayna Giles, spoke with Christopher Karaz and Shakir Rahim. In 2016, Chris submitted two human rights complaints against the Canadian Blood Services and its overseeing body Health Canada, calling for them to address the discriminatory policy. Chris is represented by his lawyers, Shakir Rahim and Gregory Koh of Kastnerland LLC out of Toronto. Shayna spoke with Chris and Shakir in late June about the ongoing human rights complaints, the ban itself and the message that policies like the MSN blood ban sends to the queer community. This is part one of that interview. So my name is Christopher Karras uh, and my pronouns are he, him,
2: and I am the federal litigant um, that is uh, challenging the MSM blood donation policy of uh, Canadian Blood Services and Health Canada.
3: And my name is Shakir Rahim. My pronouns are he and him. I'm a lawyer with Kastner Lamb LLP in Toronto, and I am Christopher's lawyer on the judicial review of the human rights inquiry into the MSM blood ban.
0: What can you tell me about the history and sort of origins of the blood ban in Canada?
2: The the policy was first introduced um, in the nineteen eighties blood crisis in Canada, um, which was the result, the the profit motive, uh, as uh, the Krever inquiry uh, noted, um, and so this has had a a long standing um, impact on our communities, um, and and we're seeing you know that there are various policies that have been introduced since the MSM policy that bar uh, various groups of people. Now, I, I should note that we often conflate the blood crisis with um, the the risk of MSM donors, men who have sex with men, or women who have sex with men who've had sex with other men or other groups that are deemed uh, risky. But that, that crisis was due in part to uh, mismanagement and um, the uh, the negligence of uh, the Canadian Red Cross and, and as well uh, the government at that time um, and it is of no fault of the, the community or uh, MSM donors or other groups and this policy you know creates this uh, misunderstanding or, or misinforms uh, the public, making them believe that this is justified, that this is legitimate um, and that it is needed when of course it isn't. And so we still have this policy today. Uh, We have heard uh, from Canadian Blood Services that they're prepared to move towards a plasma model uh, in which men who have sex with men would be able to donate plasma without a time-based deferral, Uh, as it stands now, there's a three-month deferral period. Uh, But of course, this is under review for 90 days by Health Canada, and we're waiting to uh, see that uh, implemented. But of course, there's also a submission that we expect from Canadian Blood Services, which they announced um, should be made in a year from now to eliminate the policy entirely and and have a behavior-based model uh, that would do away with the time-based deferral again. But um, I should note there is a two-year moratorium uh, by Health Canada in which there isn't any change made uh, for for a period of two years after a change uh, was made by Health Canada. Um, And so I expect uh, that, uh, that submission not to take effect for another year. So it should be two years from now before we are able to uh, donate uh, without any time-based uh, deferral. And I should say also that this is happening to the exclusion of trans people. Trans people are barred from donating and the policy um, still stands today. And there are still many other policies also that are discriminatory, the bar donors, uh, which should be further looked at.
3: And maybe and I can just add a, a few points as well to, to Chris's summary. So, uh, just to explain a little bit more about what, what happened in the 1980s, is that um, with the advent and discovery of HIV, Um, what occurred was there were blood donations where HIV was present and people contracted uh, HIV through blood donations. And as a result of that, there was a major inquiry, which Chris referred to the Creever inquiry, which led to a report that recommended the separation of functions in the regulatory atmosphere of the uh, blood system in Canada, where there are these separate bodies Canadian blood services federally or for most of the country and HEMA Quebec in Quebec um, that create um, or have the one of the primary rules for creating the rules around uh, blood donations and safety and so the policy was put in place because the idea was Since the prevalence of HIV is higher in the population of men who have sex with men, there is a risk to them donating blood and therefore they should be excluded. What has changed, of course, is the technology that is available to screen whether HIV is in blood. So even now, uh, CBS or or the, the different blood donor agencies have the ability to detect HIV at a very, very early stage such that even if somebody now donated and they were HIV positive and did not know it, that could be effectively screened and flagged and identified. So That's one issue with the the policy. The other, of course, is that there may be gay men who are HIV negative or whose behavior uh, does not put them at a higher risk of HIV, but those people do not get to donate blood unless they defer from having sexual uh, relations for a period of three months. So this automatically excludes, of course, anybody who is having, um, even with one partner or a small group of partners, sexual uh, uh, activity or sexual relations. So um, this is kind of one of the core issues. And there are other jurisdictions in the world, uh, Italy, uh, the UK recently announced, that have moved to something called the behavioral model of screening, where The the question is not whether or not you have had sex with men generally, but, you know, perhaps, you know, what type of uh, um, steps do you take in order to uh, protect yourself or how many partners have you had? These are the types of of questions that are used to ascertain risk when it comes to uh, blood donation. And then another key issue just to to keep in mind, and this feeds into the uh, work that Chris has been doing, is, you know, there are these two entities that are involved in upholding this ban. So one is Canadian Blood Services, but the other is Health Canada. So Canadian Blood Services, uh, you know, goes to Health Canada, says we want this to be the policy, but Health Canada ultimately has to approve that. And they also have a lot of discussion um, with Canadian Blood Services behind the scenes before that happens about what the policy should be. and. Health Canada, of course, is headed by the Minister of Health. And so the Trudeau government promised when it came into office, and I know Chris will talk about it, but through it, I'll just very briefly touch on it. They promised to end the ban. Um, and so the reason I'm just talking about these different entities is that what Chris has now experienced is trying to hold the government to account for the promise, um, but them saying that we have no power, no control, um, over it. Um, and so that's one of the key issues that's that's kind of running through all of this.
0: Chris, do you have anything to add on to that?
3: Yeah, so so with regards
2: to the uh, the promises that were made, I think what's important to uh, keep in mind is that when the initial promise was made, it, it appeared to be political because you know the the liberals uh put this in a petition they put it on their website they had people um uh, fill out that uh that petition uh which they of course collected um and then at the end uh when they were um, uh, completing the petition it would ask them for a donation um, and of course this happened in a federal election it was a ploy to collect um, donations uh, political donations uh, for uh, the political party and uh, this has been instrumental to the liberals and and they have you know continued to to use this per- perhaps the 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 narrative of progress on this um, to continue to to speak on this but you know, in more recent elections, with like the uh, the 2019 uh, federal election, we saw that they 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 made the promise again. But not only that they made this promise, but that they would do it once and for all. Uh, so it it wasn't it wasn't good enough to just say that they were going to do it, but that they were going to do it once and for all. And yet, the policy stands. The policy remains, and and Trudeau also, you know, did an interview with Extra um, some time ago about this policy, and you know, all he could muster up was he he was disappointed, and 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 he 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 said pretty much that you know his his hands were tied that he wasn't going to do anything. Uh, these are arms length agencies, but you know, we we see. Health Canada and Canadian Blood Services pointing fingers at each other and no one is willing to take the accountability and the necessary action to eliminate this policy. And we're still scratching our heads, still asking why this hasn't been eliminated yet. We're still talking about another two years before this policy will be eliminated. And should that time come, it'll still be up to Health Canada to accept it and after a federal election we don't know if that will be a, another party who, who will be in government we, we don't know uh, anything now and so uh, there's a lot of variables and and we don't have any certainty and we fought very hard to see that this would be eliminated uh, for several years now and uh, there have been many activists and, and community uh, groups and 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 so much has been put into seeing that, uh, this would be, you know, finally eliminated and we're still waiting. We're still, you know, unsure of what, what is going to happen and why it hasn't happened yet. Chris, what has the impact of the blood ban and the subsequent human rights complaint? What has that impact been like in your life? (laughs) I, I feel like that's a, that's two parts. So, so on the personal level with, you know, attempting to, to donate, when I went to the clinic to try to donate my blood, I was told I, I couldn't do that because I'm gay. But, you know, I also, I, I also wasn't just impacted by them telling me that I couldn't do that uh, with my blood results in hand nonetheless. But I, I was also impacted by perhaps the, the shame that I felt. I, I remember standing in line and taking off my, my rainbow bracelet and, and, and putting it away. And, and I couldn't understand why I was doing this, but it, you know, reflecting back on it, 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 it seems that I, I felt a great deal of shame and I just, I, I felt that I had to be someone else that I, I couldn't be who I who I am, and 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 that um, I had to put some part of me away uh, for me to do this, which I think was hurtful for me because of my my high school experiences, but also because of my relationship with the church, and you know having to uh, put some part of me away when you know I I uh, I enter those those church doors and. Um, being told that this was the way things should be. And I, I just, I, I had a lot of trouble with that. And and then, you know, for the second part, I think this has taken a a toll on me. This has taken a real toll because um, over the last six years, I've been, you know, fighting for this, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I don't have all the various other things that, you know, people have normally to, to deal with like work and um, and other commitments and and family and, and and I've had to put everything on the line to to make this happen. And it's not fair to to expect that of anyone. Um, I don't think that anyone should have to challenge these policies. Frankly, they they just shouldn't exist. And and there should have already been work done. Uh, to see that through, and uh, there hasn't been any willingness from the various agencies involved. So I'm I'm hoping I'm I'm trying to be hopeful that these these policies will change, that there will be um, ultimately some some reckoning. Um, it, and and I hope that we can we can come to terms with that and and see you know perhaps a new model um, uh, entirely uh, that perhaps doesn't rely on a donor health assessment questionnaire that bars various groups of people um, and and not based on any risky behavior of any one donor. Um, And so I'm I'm trying to be hopeful uh, and optimistic about the future and, and I hope that we'll see that change soon.
0: Could you walk myself and some of the listeners through the basics of the blood ban human rights complaint? Where does that go and and who oversees that?
3: Sure. So uh, there is um, a body called the Canadian uh, Human Rights Tribunal, and it handles human rights complaints that fall under something called federal jurisdiction. So when a human rights complaint is against um, some types of organizations or the federal government, it goes before a body called the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. And that body is established by something called the uh, Canada Human Rights Act. So just like there are provincial human rights tribunals, there's also a federal human rights tribunal. Now, when somebody like Chris goes to file a complaint, there is a initial screening step So there is a body called the Canadian Human Rights Commission that looks at the complaint, uh, can take certain steps like um, appointing someone to assess it, getting some information from the complainant, in this case, Chris, uh, and the parties that the complaint is directed against. Uh, And then that body, the Canadian Human Rights Commission, uh, decides whether or not further inquiry into the complaint is warranted. So whether a, a formal human rights inquiry Uh, should begin uh, before the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. So in this case, uh, Chris filed two human rights complaints. One was against Canadian Blood Services uh, and one was against Health Canada. And as we chatted about earlier, Canadian Blood Services sort of puts together the data, um, proposes a, a particular policy, and then Health Canada ultimately approves it and is also involved Uh, in some ways um, at the outset of that process as well. So the Canadian Human Rights Commission said, we think that both complaints should have a human rights inquiry. Both complaints should go to the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, should be examined and there should be a decision made about what Chris is alleging. And the federal government opposed both of these at that initial stage. They said there should be no human rights inquiry, Um, into the Canadian Blood Services complaint or into the Health Canada complaint. Uh, They said before the Canadian Human Rights Commission, again, that screening body for the tribunal, that the ban was not discriminatory, uh, it's scientifically valid, and so on. So one question, uh, you know, is why is the federal government in the form of the prime minister saying we need to end this discriminatory ban while at the same time their lawyers are in human rights body saying the ban is a discriminatory. But in any event, Chris prevailed and the commission said, we should have both um, complaints uh, go to the tribunal. But then the government decided to try and stop that referral. And this is a very exceptional step. It's something called a judicial review. And it's where the government goes to a federal judge and says, look, um, Chris is trying to have a human rights uh, inquiry into Health Canada, we don't think he should be allowed to even have the inquiry at all. Shouldn't even, shouldn't even be heard before the tribunal. And so this is where uh, myself and Gregory Koh, who is co-counsel on this case, came in to represent Chris on this judicial review uh, to ensure that the human rights inquiry into Health Canada uh, could take place. And so there was a hearing on that at the federal court on May 27th of this year. And uh, fortunately, we were successful. And the federal court ruled that um, it was entirely appropriate for there to be this human rights inquiry. They rejected all of the government's arguments about how um, it should not occur. And in particular, they found that they agreed with the assessment of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, that screening body, that there is a very open question, a live contest about the relationship of Health Canada to the MSM blood ban policy. Uh, And that's relevant because, you know, uh, as this case was proceeding, um, there were questions asked to the government in the House of Commons about it. So um, Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, asked, uh, as the other Conservative MPs, asked uh, sitting members of parliament for the current government, why are you defending this case? And the deputy prime minister, responded that look, we respect the independence of institutions, you know, and the general message is we just don't have the power to uh, get involved in this. And so the reason that this this court ruling that Chris won, um, and, and we won representing him is important, is because it said no, there, there, there may well be a relationship. And the ministry may have more power than it's letting on to actually change this policy. And so where we are now with the complaint is that You know, fortunately, both are continuing before the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, uh, both the one against uh, Canadian Blood Services and the one against uh, Health Canada.
1: That was Christopher Keres and Shakir Rahim speaking with our reporter, Shayna Giles, about the Canadian Blood Services discriminatory MSM blood ban. Which Chris has been fighting since he submitted two human rights complaints against Health Canada and Canadian Blood Services back in 2016. The case is still ongoing, so this is your opportunity to learn more about the MSM blood ban, and what it means for the queer community in Canada. Check out AllBloodIsEqual.ca for a good starting place, or ask Siri. Let's bring things down to earth with a little day in the life segment, also a two-parter, but only liminally related. Without further ado, a day in the life of Janice Irwin.
0: Hello Gaywire friends, Uh, this is Janice Irwin. I am your ML Gay for Edmonton Highlands Norwood and my pronouns are she her. So let's see some of these questions. What's the first thought that pops into your head in the morning? Oh my goodness. Well, lately, oh, for the last, I don't know, eight months or so, I've had a cat and his name is Oregano and he's pretty much the first thing that pops into my head because he's usually right over my head. <laughs> Where do you like to go throughout your day? Wow. You know, when I'm working in the legislature, I spend a lot of time there and at my office a lot of time in the legislature in the chamber debating bills but when i'm not when i'm not in the legislature like right now um i try to be out and about in the communities that i represent in edmonton highlands norwood and i really really love um being outside and especially in the summer being out in our beautiful river valley how do i organize my day well i have to tell you um every day is kind of different for me um i really um try to be as engaged as i can with the community i try to you know connect with as many people as i can when somebody wants to meet up or when somebody has a concern um i may i try to make myself available so really i yeah i i I don't necessarily have a, a set plan and i do tend to pack my days pretty full What sorts of tasks or jobs do you have to do in an average day? Hmm, well, again, you know, my job is varied and you know, if I'm in the legislature, uh, those days look a little bit different because I'm debating bills, we're introducing amendments to the government's bills and spoiler for those of you who don't know, this government is pretty awful led by the UCP, so there's a lot of work trying to make the bills that they introduce less bad and of course because we uh we are in the minority and uh, they have a majority they're able to push through um most of what they want and so uh it can be a little bit frustrating for sure thanks for sharing your day and with
1: that we are out of time for today thank you to our guests chris and Chuck here and be sure to tune in next week for the second half of the interview on the msm blood ban in canada Today's show was produced by Shayna Giles, Jow Victor Krieger, Linda, Caden Peasley, and myself, Terrence Adams. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in so called Edmonton. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook, Twitter, at gaywire and at GayWireCJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show. Hit up the DMs sometime. Or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email GayWire at CJSR.com. And you never know. You just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson. Original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next week, keep it breezy and... Please
2: stay on the line.